Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is James Day, Operations Manager for EWTN West Coast. And James, welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. Thanks, Rick. It's good to have you back. We've had you on before, and every time you write a book, we bring you on. <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, and the last time we were talking about the Sistine Chapel and your wonderful in-depth dive into what that was all about while we've had the the display here at the Diocese of Orange here at the Diocesan Campus. But the book you wrote this last few months is St. Michael the Archangel. And I'm a little surprised because it, there's no display. There's no, I'm not aware of there being anything. Why did you choose St. Michael? And before we get into that, I'm going to ask you to pray for us, so maybe you can invoke him as well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Yeah. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And to thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. In the, name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. All right, James, uh, you're every day in and out at, at EWTN. We've got Father Spitzer's show. You've got a number of different shows here on the West Coast. You see all sorts of things going on in our world. Why did you choose to write a book on St. Michael? It was a real personal um, decision, Rick, and that's because I grew up at a parish called St. Michael's. And so I was, you can say I, I was raised from the perspective of St. Michael himself, I saw the faith through Michael's eyes, if you will. This was uh, St. Michael's in Independence, Ohio, in the Diocese of Cleveland. So I was baptized there, uh, First Communion, First Confession, and Confirmation. Wow. So I really saw my faith through St. Michael, meaning good and evil, right and wrong, and a kind of creative, sort of epic, very uh, engaging, almost cinematic way of looking at the faith because of how Michael is portrayed it was very influential on on a young boy like myself who uh, aspired to those that kind of heroic symbolism and imagery. Sure, sure. So you you're growing up in Cleveland. You're in Ohio. Cuyahoga River had already been on fire before, so you don't need Michael for that. Before I was born. So. <laughs> See, I'm old enough to remember the jokes about about Mayor Perk. Your hair's on fire, <laughs> Ralph Perk. But, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Dennis Kucinich. Anyway, interesting guy. Well, but bottom line is it's a it's a Midwest city. It's one I remember from my childhood, having been a Buckeye myself, that the attitude of the people was one of serious engagement of life. There was a genuine embrace of what life was about. It was working class. Exactly. Cleveland was all about right. being working class. In the factory. And if you went down, yeah, if you went down just a few miles south, you're now in all the, the what used to be the rubber factories. Uh, That's right. Akron. Closing right. down, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And Jackson, Tiger Town, USA. Yeah. You have a whole bunch of people who are midtown, middle America. Why would 
St. Michael be so important to them? It's like they're they're not from France. They're not. It's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, that, no, that's great. And it makes me think of when this uh, this was one of the first parishes founded in the Diocese of Cleveland. And it actually was not originally called St. Michael. It was actually called St. Lawrence. It was a mission church. Ooh. And this was about 1850 or so. I checked the documents. I really tried to figure out what happened in the next decade or so where it, came, it went from St. Lawrence mm-hmm. to St. Michael Parish. Yeah. And it, as we look through the, the course of Michael's influence in, in the faith, this was during the time of Pius the Ninth, yeah, and who is Pionino. who is chronicled in the book as as having a devotion. So, yeah, I, but but there's nothing concrete. No, but that would make sense. That would make sense that at this time, for people who were especially remember, this is also the time of the Know Nothings, roughly, without get, going into the history behind that, an anti-Catholic political party that was very popular in the Midwest to wow. to resort to Saint Michael, who is right. the defender of Israel. Right. And the defender of our church makes some sense. Yeah, maybe. And this was uh, this actually predates Leo the Thirteenth's prayer to Saint Michael, which I think kind of really opened up devotion on a wide scale because of the, the Leonine prayers at the end of Mass. Yeah. So it, it could have been something maybe territorial to the area. We, we don't know, but it is it's fascinating. Well, let's talk about it. he's Saint Michael, which means he is one of the holy ones. And yet, when we think of saints, we think of human beings. What's the difference, really, between a human being? We don't become angels when we die. There's a the myth that, oh, someday you go, you get your harp and you get to become an angel. Right. It, what is an angel, and why is St. Michael, therefore, so important? Let's just, what is an angel? An angel is an angelic being created by God to basically do his will, okay? And that really is to help those who were made in the image and likeness of God, which were humans, okay. on a very basic Unless you want to add, no, add to no. That. So we're they're spiritual beings that were created by God to do His will on behalf of humans, or at least that's how they're being used. Right, and we see that in Scripture. For example, let's just take the Annunciation, where Saint Gabriel came down there, a role of a messenger, or a role of an intercessor, a role as a guide. If you look at uh, the Old Testament, so there's lots of references to angels in Scripture. Michael came out of the choir of angels of the known as the archangels. And this is based on pseudo Dionysus's circle or celestial hierarchy of angels. Okay, and he's taking a, an ancient tradition that comes up to him. Dionysus right. is is an ancient theologian mystic from a long, long time ago, and he's basing his hierarchy on scripture. So, for example, there's the supreme hierarchy, the middle hierarchy, and the lower hierarchy. In the lower hierarchy, you have principalities, archangels, and angels. So it's interesting that archangels come from the bottom of, of pseudo Dionysus's chart. It's not like they're right up there, you know, with the seraphim and the cherubim in the thrones, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Well, and that that's an interesting point because when we look at who Lucifer was, Lucifer was a a, a seraph. He's like a, a serpent angel which is one of the reasons why when he shows up in the garden, he shows up as a serpent because he's a seraphim. Mm. And, you know, are, are there dragons in our in our tradition? There are. They are the seraphim. And yet here we have an archangel whom protects us from him. So their hierarchy isn't necessarily in physical strength or in physical ability. It Correct. has to do apparently with how close they are in proximity 
to God or or some other reason for ranking, right? You can't separate Michael from the from the seraphim, from Lucifer, or from the dragon. Uh, he is tethered to this creature. It does not mean, though, that they were one was on the right hand, one was on the left hand of of, of the Father. Michael came out of obscurity because he saw this rebellion. Because now angels, and we Aquinas really does a great uh, reading of, of angels, but um, you know angels have a free will as well. And, and we yeah. see this with Lucifer's decision right. to rebel against God. It's so different from human beings, though, because human beings, because of our malleable nature and our ability to change our minds, we have the ability in using free will both to rebel and to repent. And for angels that are pure spirit, they have a free will, but once that decision has been made, it's like it's set in stone immediately. Uh, Lucifer said, I will not serve, and, and that's validated. Okay, Lucifer, you're, that's where you are. And Michael said, I will defend. <laughs> okay. Right. That is validated. It's where you are. Yes. And, um, you know, and yet we still see some aspects of mercy in this. Consider the image of Michael, which we all know. You know, having his, you know, pinning down Lucifer. Yeah. He's not killing him. He, he has sword at the ready, but it's not one out of the moment before he's going to, to thrust it into Lucifer for good. It, it, Lucifer continues to manifest his, his reach, yeah. right? He continues to slither. So there's almost like this mercy that you may be banished, but you're not going to be killed because you rebelled against God. Well, and this is interesting because when you are listening to even Jesus, when he talks about the judgment, say, in Matthew 25, and he tells the people who failed to live out the love that they're com compelled to do, when I was hungry, did you give me something to eat, thirsty, give me something to drink? He says, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for humans, but it was prepared for Lucifer. Mm. So they're, they're not, in the end, killed by Michael. I mean, how do you kill a spirit? Right. But they are restrained by Michael. Exactly. There's something very symbolic about the sword of truth that Michael has. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we get the desire to call on him for protection, to be that defense. Defend us in battle, as we said in the opening prayer. When we hear about Ephesians 6 and the full armor of God and the idea that we're to put on that full armor of God, which includes the sword of truth, that's Michael's sword, isn't it? Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's why I chose to open the, if, if, with the, with that passage from Ephesians 6 yeah. about putting on the armor of God, which is, a, it, it's a great call to spiritual defense anyway, to, to, you know, to spiritual protection and prowess. We can't separate that from Michael. It sounds like you had fun writing this book. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, rare I get to ask that question, but. It You're, tested me, though. It tested me. How did it me. test Yeah, you? it has what we're talking about right now, trying to compact the theology of angels um, into to something that we can, I guess, digest in a relatively, you know, we're moving so fast these days. It's hard to, it's really hard for people to uh, to wake up in the morning, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, I think I, I have it all figured out. It's really hard for people to wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, what can I learn that I hadn't learned before? And I'm trying to learn, too, but you're really trying to explain this immense, complex theology that we have. And, and a lot of people, as you said, dismiss angels as the, you know, the wings and the cherubs and, and this imagery that, that's kind of silly. 
We're talking with James Day, who is the operations manager for EWTN on the West Coast, but he is a, a depth and has written now three books, is it? One on, on Benedict, one on the Sistine Chapel, and now one on St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, this book comes out from Our Sunday Visitor. Right. Uh, it's out now, actually, and it's only about 110 pages if you don't count the acknowledgments and appendices. The appendices. So it's a, it's a short read, but it's got a lot of information that's packed into it. And we were talking in this first segment about angels in general. And I want to know a little bit more about where Michael comes from and the rise of devotion of St. Michael. And that's where I want to take us, where I want you to take us when we come back. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Reflections from Father Al Baca, Director for Evangelization and Faith Formation in the Diocese of Orange, California. I need to be evangelized. I need to re-evangelize myself constantly because that is a great deception of that somehow I have made it. You know, somehow because I uh, recite my rosary, because I go to Mass, these are wonderful things, right? Mass, the, the summit, you know, the beginning and the end of the Christian life, the rosary, the weapon of the Virgin Mary given to us, you know, against darkness and, and heresy and so forth. But these do not have the potential filled, if I could say it that way, until that relationship with Jesus Christ is forefront. We all know and remember Father Benedict Rochelle, wonderful, wonderful priest. I remember a number of times having conversations with him, and, and he told me, when Catholics love the church first, in other words, when they come to Catholicism and their faith and their religion through the church first, when something goes wrong in the church, a lot of them shatter. When Catholics love Jesus Christ first, he teaches them how to love his church how to love his bride, that's the way he said it. And I thought that is so profound because when I love Jesus Christ, then he teaches me how to deal with the wounds, with the disappointments, and with the humanness of the church. But the other way around, it may not be so successful. For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is James Day, who is the West Coast EWTN Operations Manager and is also a scholar who has uh, written a recent short book on Michael the Archangel. It's called St. Michael the Archangel, and it's out from Our Sunday Visitor. And it is only about 110 pages, 109 pages, and it is packed, but it's a a fairly, I found it to be a fairly enjoyable read. It's, it's not a scholar's book in that you need to have a vast knowledge to understand this book. This is actually written for a layman, That's right. but a layman who is able to follow along. So it's kind of at that level. If you're a Catholic and you read this book, you're going to come away very glad that you did. Thank you. We were just talking about the angels in general, and we kind of got into a little bit of Michael. I want to ask where the devotion of St. Michael really comes from, both in its roots from Scripture, but also where it comes from in our tradition. Because really the last 150 years is where we've seen the most embrace of Michael in prayer, though we've seen his devotion 
you have this whole interesting section on what's called the Sword of Michael, this right. straight line. You've got, you got to see this map where you connect the dots of all these different Michael churches going from the islands of, of England and Ireland right, right, yeah. down through France and into the Holy Land. Right, it's like a straight right, line. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I'm sure we'll get there. Where does St. Michael come from in our tradition? You know, I want to quote uh, the book of Jude from the New Testament. And it says, uh, but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment upon him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, which again goes back to the idea that, that, um, Michael will not annihilate Lucifer for good. He continues to defend him or rebuke him as, yeah. as it says here. But it's interesting that they're arguing over the body of Moses. Moses' life is done at that point. And so he was imperfect, but he was the prophet of God, the greatest prophet of God. And it connects... Up to Christ himself. That's right, and up to Christ. And it connects Israel, Michael, yeah. and fulfill, the fulfillment of the Israelites in Christianity. And Michael is the bridge between that in this, in this respect. So you, Michael is known as the guardian of Israel, Rick. Yeah, What's fascinating to me about what you just said about that, that whole arguing over Moses, since he wasn't using the sword physically, it was some sort of a sort of truth. I would have loved to have heard that debate between Satan and Michael over Moses and what Israel is going to do and why this was worthwhile. No, you're wrong, Satan. It yeah. wasn't a waste. He, it, it really is the beginning of the end for you. I want to, I want to just jump on that and just say what we're talking about is even though he embodies like physical things such as shield, armor, and sword, these are metaphysical weapons. Yeah. And I, I want to make people, you know, I want to know that we're not talking about an Avengers movie here yeah. where it's like earthly superheroes. This yeah. is something way beyond that. This isn't Wonder Woman jumping up and making the sign of the cross as she, which would be Aaron's. amazing, yeah. but yeah, but right, but right. yeah, exactly. This is something way beyond that. Well, and into our souls. This is where people think, okay, angels, do they have wings or not? Well, they have whatever God wants them to have, so we don't freak out. Because as pure spirit, they don't have any need for a body. We do. We have a need for them to have a body. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so, but they take on these human uh, connotations. For example, sometimes they appear nameless in Scripture. They appear as as people in Daniel, Daniel nine. There's this, uh, again, a, a wonderful exchange between Gabriel and Michael over the, the kingdom of Persia, uh, which, again, is another <laughs> fascinating thing to consider. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. but but if I can read from Daniel here, I think this um, in a way you might see a connection between. Revelation 12, which again mentions Michael doing battle with the dragon, and here he is in um, in Daniel. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, meaning Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble such as he has never been, such as never been since. There was a nation till that time, but at that time your people shall be delivered, every one whose name shall be found written in the book. So... You know, we're talking about deliverance of the people, uh, uh, the people of Israel. We're talking about Michael coming at, at a time of great need. In a way, we see in Michael a reflection and fulfillment of the Old Testament with, in, the, in the New. And I don't think we think of Michael in that respect because he's not really mentioned in the New Testament, the Gospels right. per se. Right. We don't get to Michael really until we get into the letters and, and then the book of Revelation. That's right. Yeah. But he's there because... Why? Because he serves God. He serves the Godhead. So he 
he knew. Remember, remember, is it a uh, is it in Luke there, uh, Rick? Where I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Yeah, Christ says. Yeah. So there's this relationship between the second person, between the holy face, before time immemorial began, and Michael. So he knew who the revealed face of God, who that was going to be. Wow. So if we're looking at Michael then coming into the church, there is this tradition that uh, is in Scripture that says that he was the original guardian of the infancy of Israel from Moses on. We have Michael at the transitions when Cyrus from Persia was being selected to be the hand of God to come in and be like a savior to Israel unexpectedly. And it's Michael who helps make that possible to where Michael is going to be our protector at the final apocalypse. Right. So that's the scriptural background. What led to the resurgence of Michael in our tradition? especially the last 150 years or so. Sure. And b- and before we go on, I do want to mention how even Michael is prominent in, in Jewish Apocrypha. Yes, he is. You know, so there's this wonderful literature in Jewish tradition where you can where you can find Michael appearing there as well. Do you so believe is one? That. Yeah, right. You'll find that in a number of different places, yeah. But, he, yeah, he doesn't disappear then. I mean, he continues, and, and we have to understand, I don't think you can separate Christendom, the rise of Christendom, from Michael's intercessions, because he just appears from the time of Constantine, when Constantine relocated the empire, the physical empire of Rome, from Rome to to Byzantium, renaming it Constantinople. He encountered a shrine where Michael appeared to Constantine. This was outside Constantinople. And it was really the beginning. We we don't know if Constantine, we think he converted on his deathbed, but we know he had these mystical experiences that allowed him to lean towards Christianity, which allowed it to open up the Roman Empire to Christianity. And so we see Michael at that opening from the secular pagan Rome to Christian Rome. Michael was right there. And so he he's there and he does not leave. Yeah, it's a fascinating time to look at that because a lot of people kind of misunderstand the role of Constantine in Constantine didn't exactly favor Christians so much as he stopped disfavoring them. And then gradually, in seeing their value in his society, by allowing them to have more normalcy, they began to grow. That's right. And and by the time he gets to the end of his life, he's the one who has made sure that the Council of Nicaea, this first ever really full ecumenical council, not just a local council like we have at Carthage several times, but a real full ecumenical council takes place. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and from there, once Christianity is sort of liberated, uh, Michael appears in various parts of, of Europe where local devotion is fostered. And so we see the beginning of shrines and that sort of thing, monasteries devoted to him all across the growing empire of, of Christendom. But it's really for us a, a kind of contemporary understanding of Michael is is in from the 19th century, where you have two popes who reigned 60 plus years. It was Pius the Ninth and Leo the Thirteenth. Yeah, this incredible gift of these two giants, both of whom had uh, Michael devotion. Now, uh, Pius the Ninth, who was epileptic, which is interesting, um, he actually was thought he wasn't going to be able to be ordained because he was living in the papal states. The leader of the papal states, the, the, their president, if you will, was the pope. So yeah. the pope was the one who said, uh, 
and this was Pius VII, I think, who said, um, no, you can be a priest. But uh, he went to a school called St. Michael growing up. And here, so that we we see that at the beginning, and it's bookended with Leo the Thirteenth's prayer to Saint Michael at the end of the nineteenth century, eighteen eighty four. So, in that, this occurred at a time when Catholic France was really not Catholic anymore. This is post French Revolution. So you you saw this anti Catholic, uh, anti clericalism response. It was rampant. Rampant. It's still there today, but it was violent back in those days. Yeah. So, like Mont Saint Michel, which is a, a great tourist location. For anyone visiting Normandy there in France, that's, that's yeah. it's us. It was one of those one of the shrines to Saint Michael that you said is on the straight line, the yeah. sword of Saint Michael. They were, that was actually turned into a, a prison for priests, but it was Pius the Ninth who who adorned the top of Mont Saint Michel with a statue of Saint Michael, supported by Victor Hugo of, of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So you have you have every time there was this aggressive attack against the faith. There was this defense by supporters like the, the Pope and, and, and writers and influential people using St. Michael as a way to defend. So it goes back to what we're talking about, this idea of defense and protection, yeah, you know, the, yeah, which yeah. he has been from, from the beginning of time, for before time even began. So right around this time, when do we have the St. Michael prayer actually enter into the, the Mass? I don't want to get sidetracked into the Mass too much because we're going to go into that when we come back. But Okay, so at, technically, if we were to be technical, though, it's the Leonine prayers after Mass. So Ita Misa S is already there. The blessing and all of that has already happened. The priest goes to the end of the altar. He's at the he's at the foot of the altar. That's when they say the Leonine prayers, beginning with the second gospel and, you know, culminating with, the, the you know, the Salve Regina. Okay, and they add the St. Michael prayer there. This was any, sometime after October 13th, 1884, which is when Leo Thirteenth had his vision. Okay, so... The vision of Leo the Thirteenth. What was that? He's at the foot of the altar on October thirteenth, eighteen eighty four. We have we have a, a fairly reliable account, a first person account of what happened. He he encounters a trance. I thought I think of it as something like a like a seizure. And if we think of his predecessor Pius the Ninth having epilepsy, maybe yeah. this was something encountering uh, Pius the Ninth. He or, you know Leo the Thirteenth. He was an older pope. Yeah. One of our oldest. So he, he encounters a trance and we, we find out later when he, uh, when he's able to articulate what's happening, he hears these two voices appearing from the tabernacle. One's guttural and one's angelic and gentle. And he, he, he comes to understand it's Satan and the Lord having a conversation. It's funny. We keep going back to these conversations that, that folks are having yeah. and basically out of this conversation about having power and control, he comes out of this trance with the St. Michael prayer composition. So at the end of that encounter, we begin this new tradition of taking a prayer that's already in existence, or he composes the prayer? He composed it from his from his own. Wow. Yeah. So he takes this prayer that he's composed in order for all of us to be united around asking St. Michael to defend us. That is fantastic. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is James Day, and we've been talking about and continue to talk about St. Michael the Archangel. And the book that uh, James wrote, St. Michael the Archangel, is a short but intense treatment of St. Michael and his role in our world. And that both gives the background and how that fits. What I'd like to do when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about how St. Michael relates to us through our prayers, through our liturgy, through the Mass. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. 
Deacon Steve Greco on God's Divine Mercy. Speaking of mercy, our ministry, Spiritful Hearts, does Divine Mercy conferences and seminars. We've scheduled 14 of them. We will travel to your parish. You can contact me at Deacon Steve at SpiritfulHearts.org. Deacon Steve at SpiritfulHearts.org. We have tremendous speakers talking about how much God loves us through His mercy. If you'd like to learn more about bringing a Divine Mercy conference to your parish, reach out to us at SpiritfilledHearts.org. The passing of a loved one is a difficult and often sorrowful step in life's journey. The helpful and supportive staff at the Cathedral Memorial Garden Cemetery, located on the 34-acre iconic Christ Cathedral campus, are here to assist you and your family through this transition, offering a central location, serene garden-like grounds, majestic fountains, and a dramatic statuary, all set within the beautiful Christ Cathedral campus. For more information, please visit memorialgardens.christcathedralcalifornia.org or contact 714-489-6102. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is James Day, Operations Manager for EWTN on the West Coast. And we are talking about his latest book, St. Michael the Archangel. And we've been talking about angels in general, and we were talking a little bit about the history of of the devotion to St. Michael and how important he has been to defending both Israel and then the church and then how that's come to us through Pope Leo the 13th and Pius the 9th. So picking up from there, Michael has entered into our mass in a big way. What did that look like? What does that look like today? What are the differences and why? So I want to start with uh, St. Eutropius the Hermit. St. Eutropius, of course. <laughs> I haven't thought about St. Eutropius in, in uh, I don't think I've ever heard of St. Eutropius. <laughs> you haven't done a show yet on him yet? Not on him. Although that sounds like a great dissertation topic. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it was St. Eutropius, believe it or not, it was revealed to him by Michael that he was the guardian angel of the Blessed Sacrament. Okay. Which is, which is beautiful. And here we go. He, another title to bestow on Michael. Guardian of Israel, we talked about that at the beginning. Here he now is, uh, he's protector of France. He's the, you know, patron of He was the protector Christ. of the body of Moses. Protector of the body of Moses. Which is an icon toward the body of Christ. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So it wow. makes sense. I mean, this, the logic you look at, so you're looking at this book maybe and you might think to yourself, well, this has to be in a way sort of scripted by somebody because the, the, over the centuries, there's way too many correlations and connections and coincidences. Well, it was scripted. Well, he but, asked the question, who is like God in his name? <laughs> Michael means who is like right, God. And right, that's what he's right, asking all the way right, throughout here. Right, right, right. Well, Moses is like God. He's pointing the way. Right. But he's not. Right. Which brings us back to Jesus, who, yeah, who is like God and is. <laughs> who is like God but thee, O oh Lord? You know, wow, that's, that's ultimately yeah. what we're going at. Okay, so, but to get back to the Mass, yeah, the guardian angel of the Blessed Sacrament. So from there, we can see that there's this special connection that, once again, that Michael has, not just with the Godhead, but also with the second person. And specifically with the second person, he who is the Eucharistic Lord, the one whose body, blood, soul, and divinity is brought into every single church at every single holy sacrifice and mass. That is the sacred liturgy. I just have to say this. I don't know if uh, contemporary Catholics realize really what the sacrifice of the mass is. A lot of them do not. If you look at some of the statistics, 70% do not. And what we're talking about is nothing less than this cosmic experience that takes us beyond time and place, puts us basically at Calvary, 
at the foot of the cross, at all of at the passion itself, and even beyond that, beyond time and place into something metaphysical and cosmic. I, I you know, that really is what's going on each and every time. Yeah. What's fascinating to me is the more that I study early church history, the more that you hold coins in your hand from the time that other people had held, the more you realize, wow, this really happened. And it wasn't all that long ago. We think about 2,000 years being a long time ago. We've got trees that right. are that old. Right. Uh, here in California. Right. So yeah. when we're looking at taking a step out of place and time, it, it it's not that hard for God to do, yet we don't ever... We rarely think of it. That no, way. so I, I would say don't limit your possibility of where of 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 how big and yet how intimate things are. What you're seeing in front of you is not it. It's there's way more behind the scenes. So when we call when we say Michael is the guardian angel of the blessed sacrament, say it's not just a phrase. It's not just a title. You have to really really think about maybe implore Michael to help you better appreciate the holy sacrifice of the mass. Maybe that's ultimately why we have saints how often when we go into the mass we sit down and we we then pull down our kneeler and kneel and pray i think most of the time most of us will pray for our friends and family keep me healthy let me do well with my work help me to receive eucharist worthily lord whatever that means and we then put our kneelers up and we sit and we wait for the homily to say something we hope is not too boring yeah no and, I, the, re- I, I, and the reality is yeah. this is your time to invoke the saints you are in holy ground this is your time to invoke Michael right? and to ask Michael to help you approach Christ himself, the body of Christ that he defends. Yeah. Let he would them. reveal him to you totally Absolutely. and completely. Absolutely. Let the mass do that for you. Don't think that you have to add extra layers on top of what the mass is doing. Pius X, St. Pius X says, don't pray at mass, pray the mass. So think about, and, and, you know, it helps to understand maybe the extraordinary form to understand Michael's role because in the, uh, in the Latin mass. All right. What's the extraordinary form the, for the, those of us who are at post Vatican II? The Tridentine liturgy. Okay. Uh, the, the, Latin, the Latin mass, the pre, the 1962 missile, the pre Paul VI enculturation, uh, different languages of the vernacular. In the I confess at the beginning of mass, the confitior in Latin, Michael is mentioned twice. So I think that shows right away. The, uh, his heightened position in the celestial hierarchy. There's this other beautiful moment, and we see this on occasion when there's incense at a particular mass. If you, if you know this, before the server incenses the faithful, the priest circles the altar incensing. Right. He's actually evoking St. Michael oh. at that moment, which is which is beautiful. He says... By the intercession of blessed Michael the Archangel, who standeth at the right hand of the altar of incense, and of all his elect, may the Lord deem to bless this incense and to accept its fragrant sweetness. So at that incense that is surrounding the table at that time, we're actually, the priest is asking for God to let us take part in in the Mass in Heaven, so that incense that Michael is guarding might be identified with this incense. Wow. That's right. That's Iconically, the, the, I, I, the icon of that, the image of that is incredible. Yeah, yeah, and it actually goes back to Scripture, Revelation 8, 4. The smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. And that angel here, as we know, is, is Michael. Michael is just infused in the liturgy, Rick. I just think we, we, we should think about that more. It's, it's not just the prayer of St. Michael at the end. It's, yeah. it's everything that go, goes on before that. 
it's important to to think back a little bit about the theology of angelology, the study of angels, and Jesus. And when we look like at the book of Hebrews in the very beginning, there's this long beginning dissertation on the angels and how Jesus is not an angel. He's higher than the angels, though the angels are very important. Why? Because they're the ones who point to him. They're the ones who make it possible for him to be both high priest and victim. And it is Michael, who, as you're pointing out, is the one who is guarding that body, that victim, so the high priest can complete the sacrifice. Mm. I mean, think about the vulnerability of who Jesus is. Yeah. If Michael isn't protecting Jesus when he's there vulnerable, de- dead on the cross, who else is going to protect him at that point? And it is at that moment, in that whole time period where he's alive and dead, where he is sacrificing and sacrificed, that we take part in the Mass. Yeah, the beautiful. I mean, look at the word host, the communion host. It comes from the Latin hostia, which is spiritual victim. You don't get any more <laughs> blatant than that. And what is beautiful about, about the church's wisdom is that it doesn't trivialize things in the sense that it doesn't beat it beat you over the head by saying this is Michael this is Michael this is Michael this is see how see how great we are how smart we we connect everything for example in the garden that prayer for, you know let my the cup pass over me you know Christ is catered to, uh, is tended by an angel at that moment we don't it doesn't say who that is there's no name there's no trivialization no no trivial historical Point, oh, this was so-and-so. But we can imagine who that might be. Now, it could be an, a guardian angel because there's angels for every moment. Every church has, a, has an angel. So. We're only told what we need to know. Exactly. So we shouldn't presume we know everything. <laughs> right, right. But this notion of yeah. even Christ calling on angelic protection may or may not be Michael. It doesn't matter. The point is is that he even calls on some, uh, on an angel to help. We, we have to call on our guardian angels. So... Michael became very prominent in the Mass, especially 150 years ago or so. Well, actually less than that, about 100 years ago. When did that change? Why did that change? Has it changed? It has. What happened? Well, you know, we were just talking about uh, the Tridentine Mass, and in the 60s, you know, we had the change from the uh, from the, the 1962 Roman Missal to the the Paul VI New Mass, the Novus Ordo, the, the Mass right. that we know today. Yeah. And in that transition... The Leonine prayers of which St. Michael, the prayer of St. Michael is one of them at the foot of the altar. Those were removed formally, formally from, from the, from, I guess from, from the rubrics, the from the rubrics. Exactly. Okay. So cause it's not exactly the mass. So let's, let's back up for a moment because it's not part of the mass right. itself. So th- without denigrating the second Vatican council constitutions, they didn't really change the mass itself, but the tradition of having them there was done away with essentially. Essentially saying, well, this this is not canon yeah. or dogmatic. And Let's there was change. a large number of people who wanted to try to do something new. Sure, of course. Yeah. And that's that's where we get the Nova. That's where we get what we, I'd say the last 50 years of our of our liturgy yeah. is shaped out of this change. And, you know, the, the prayer to St. Michael was excised. Where I grew up, though, I grew up at St. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is St. Michael's Church in Independence, Ohio, where the St. Michael prayer was con- remained part of the liturgy, depending on who the priest was presiding, because it wasn't there was no after mass prayers anymore, as we just right. mentioned. Depending on who the priest was uh, celebrating the mass, 
that it could be included at any point. The priest I'm thinking of, Father St. Marie, who has since passed, would add the St. Michael prayer after the, the, um, the prayers of the faithful. Oh, okay. And he would just say that. And then, so then you would sit down for the offertory. Although John Paul II encouraged people to continue saying the, the prayer to St. Michael. This was in 1994. So it's never been forbidden. It no, just was... exactly. But it didn't have that, that impetus that, which I, thankfully in the last two years, we are now seeing this, this uptick in the prayers of St. Michael appearing as more of a, a diocesan or a, or a bishop's uh, decree that he would send out. For example, I'm thinking of 2018, after the summer of 2018 and this this new round of, of scandal and, and, and corruption and all that, Pope Francis encouraged the return of the prayer to St. Michael for a particular time in October 2018. Various bishops, such as our own, have encouraged that to continue on, that we remain continuing to say the prayer of St. Michael throughout. So that's been a wonderful gift. So let me back up for a moment then. So the contemporary mass, unless you're going to go to a, a Trinitine mass or a Novus Ordo, the contemporary mass that you're going to encounter in, in the vernacular, in your English or, or whatever language you're, you're hearing it in, is not necessarily going to have the prayer of St. Michael, but it is appropriate to say it at the end anyway. That's right. Okay. Exactly. And it's incur- it's becoming more encouraged now, okay. which is wonderful, from the top. All right. Which brings me to another topic which we're going to talk about when we come back in, and that is... What can Michael do for us, especially during these very truculent times we find ourselves in? It's very disturbing out there, and we have an ally. We need to make sure that we don't forget that. You're listening to James Day talking to us on Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. heard Father Christopher Smith and the Cathedral Square radio show? Here's a soundbite with recent guest Greg Walgenbach from the Office of Life, Justice, and Peace at the Diocese of Orange. And when we're divided ourselves as well, I think that hurts our witness to Jesus. Oh, it does. And it's hard to witness sometimes with some of the attitudes of the world today. I was thinking about it just this last week about Jesus, love your enemies. I remember one time I was giving a talk and mentioned a little bit about that. And then after this talk, this person came up to me and she said, Father, that was just a great talk. I loved your talk. It was just wonderful. There's just one thing I disagreed with. And I said, well, what was that? She said, you know what? That love your enemies part, I just don't agree with that. And I said, not my material. (laughs) That was Jesus talking, you know, always to kind of, as that same passage says, to go the extra mile. Yeah. And it's so easy to forget. And and it's very easy to, in the process of trying to fight for human dignity, whether it's for the unborn or for the migrant or for homeless or for whoever, to then diminish the dignity of somebody that I'm trying to work with. Or if I'm sitting across from a legislator and I can diminish their dignity, or I'm talking to a fellow parishioner who has a very different viewpoint than I do on this topic and I can diminish their so how do we respect the dignity of of one another even when we have significant disagreements that's a conversation that matters too because we're called to protect human dignity at at all stages including the stage of right now where we're two people talking to each other exactly catch Cathedral Square Saturday mornings at 1030 on Relevant Radio or download the podcast at OCCatholic.com slash radio that's OCCatholic.com slash radio Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. 
With me today has been James Day. And before I go any further, I want to say, first of all, thank you, James, for coming in all the way from across the hall because EWTN <laughs> television studios on the West Coast are on the same floor here in the Tower of Hope on the campus of Christ Cathedral. And we have the honor of being around the corner from them in our radio uh, studio uh, small and humble as we may be, yeah. the expansive <laughs> television studio next door, you run that. Uh, and that, I'm Thank glad you. you were able to come over Thank and you. share this with us, especially since this book that you wrote is really appropriate for our times. So with that in mind, the book that we're talking about, and I recommend everyone go out and, and order this, I'm assuming that they can get it from any bookseller. I don't want to name too many of them. There's one huge one. But there's also many other ones. It's St. Michael the Archangel by James F. Day. And St. Michael the Archangel is put out there by our Sunday visitor. It's about 100 pages, a little bit more, not counting the appendices. The appendices, though, have prayers. They have all sorts of different details that are important. This would be an important book to have, especially during these times. I say that because as we were discussing the background of St. Michael and how Michael has been one of God's revelatory engagements with the world through through the spirit of an angel. St. Michael has been that angel from the beginning of the covenant with Israel through Moses, all the way up through Jesus Christ, through the promised, through to the end at the apocalypse. Michael will be with us. And we've had him in our mass, at the very end of mass, after mass, in the rubrics with, with very specific prayers. We've been asked recently by popes, to remember him again and, and ask for his prayers, we are now in very difficult times. We have been going through as a nation some very difficult uh, times indeed. We also have, of course, the coronavirus that has turned our world upside down and inside out. And many, many people have suffered. Many have died. And this is a time where St. Michael is perhaps one of the most important saints we can ask help from. Talk about that a little bit, James, will you? Yeah, there's a 17th century German priest. His name is Father Martin von Kochem. I quote him. And he believes, this is kind of his understanding, his theology, coming out of place of, of prayer and reflection. But he says, St. Michael will head the glorious procession, carrying the cross whereon Christ died. This is at the end of time. And it's I'm beginning to think with this resurgence of St. Michael as a, someone to whom as an angel to whom we call on for protection, namely the St. Michael prayer, if popes and others are not prepping us for the end times. Because how do we know Michael really? Uh, he, we know him from the beginning of uh, from the battle with Satan, but we also know him through Revelation in, in that final battle with the dragon. Yeah. Is, is suddenly this figure that no one knows about going to do battle against the dragon? In a way, I think it's this recollection, this this preparation time to start thinking about the end we may not be around for that final actual end of you know end times but we are going to die that really in a way is our own apocalypse on earth and michael is a part of that experience too michael and death how how does michael figure into this because i know that michael is he <laughs> he fought over the body of of moses he stands over the body of christ so the 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 corpus is important in his symbolism. That's right, the body, yeah. How do we benefit from Michael? Just think about human nature for a, for a second. Think about temptation and being under under the... Think about being pinned down by Satan, if you will. Reverse the image. 
Satan is the one pinning us down instead of Michael with sword at the ready. Would that not happen at the end of one's life? If we've encountered Satan and dealt with him and needed help, spiritual help throughout our own lives, is he just going to disappear in our final moments? I, I don't think so. In fact, he may even ramp up his agenda to snatch as many uh, souls as he can before it's too late. So with that thinking, St. Michael would, of course, be right there doing what he always does, which is being that line of defense. And he may not be the last line of defense because we, in the Hail Mary, we say, pray for us at the hour of our death. So there is, there's still, you know, he, he he's not the <laughs> last. <laughs> our mother is right, always exactly, there. Yes. Exactly. So that's my thinking in terms of that. If he's there again in the apocalypse, he's there fighting the dragon. He's there fighting over the body of Moses. Of course, he's going to be fighting over us to bring us back, to bring us into the fold. I sometimes think about Mary uh, when she was assumed into heaven. This little girl who now is an older woman by the time she's assumed into heaven, but this little girl who was told by the messenger Gabriel that she'd been chosen to, to have this, and she says, let it be done to me according to your, your rhema, your, your oracle, your word. And when she gets to heaven, she's still a human being but glorified, and she's made queen of heaven. Now, let's think about this for a moment. She's got all this power. What does she do with it? This little human girl who's got no vice in her in her soul, she wants to marshal the forces that are out there. Well, they're already there. They're angels. Hmm. And so who is she going to call on? When you see the images of her where where the the graces flow from her fingers and toes and all of that, who do you think is delivering those? It's the angels. Let's go back to the Fatima apparitions of 1913. The final Fatima apparition is October 13th, 1917. October 13th, October 13th. Okay. That's 33 years to the date Leo XIII had his vision that led to the composition of the prayer. Jesus was how old when he was crucified? Exactly. Okay. (laughs) Again, the church in its wisdom does not comment, although we have a theological commentary on the Fatima apparitions by Cardinal Ratzinger, who just put it into words, what, what, what visually is just stunning. There's an angel with the flaming sword off Mary's side in the, in the apparitions at mm-hmm. Fatima. We can make a good argument that it's that it's Michael. who's the protector. <laughs> <laughs> if she is represent, no, think about it. In the Book of Revelation. This is so good. Exactly. When you see her in Chapter Twelve, when she is the woman who's going to give birth, she is being protected by Michael. Of course, he's going to be there. Exactly, and he's there to protect her offspring. Who's her offspring? Well. On the first level, it's Jesus Christ. On the second level, it's all of it's us. All of us, yeah. exactly. And just, I just want to take this one step further, if we can. Uh, if we go back, go to, for it, If James. we go back to Genesis, <laughs> you know, obviously Genesis three yeah. fifteen. I'll yeah. put enmity between you and the serpent. Michael in Jewish apocrypha is the one. Well, first off, there is the angel who blocks the entrance right. of paradise with a flaming, thro- <laughs> flaming sword, moving okay. this way or that to keep you from getting back inside. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, in Jewish apocrypha, we actually have Michael named who escorts Adam out of paradise. And what's beautiful in this in the it's called the life of Adam and Eve. It's paradise is like this grassy island. And it's surrounded by ice that you just see forever, you know? And he, he brings him to the edge of paradise and you know, he's banished, but he doesn't let him go. He actually walks Adam across this, this desolate area to the east of Eden and, and, uh, to the land of Nod. And, um, he shows him how to plant. He shows him how to plant because he didn't have to do that in the garden. It's Michael who has to do that. And it's Michael who is, 
who is basically the midwife for Eve when she gives birth. He is the one who's tenderly helping her, guiding her through labor. So here he is at the end, at the beginning. He appears nameless. He's got these visuals of the flaming sword. It's Michael. It's Michael, whether we know whether we say it or not. He's there. He's always there. But we need to make sure we clarify something very clearly. In Scripture, Michael is always an angel. He is not Jesus Christ. He is not the Son of God. He is not the appearance of God. He is the messenger of God. He is a spirit sent by God. And that's important because we have some separated brothers and sisters who have gone that direction. Talk to us. Exactly. No, I just, exactly, Rick. I just want, without getting too, too in depth, I mean, we, we've been flying through this show, but I have to say, uh, if you go on the internet, you, you start seeing things, uh, thoughts on Michael that are getting a little beyond. Way beyond. Way beyond. Because there's a, so there's be a separation between a spiritual representation of the mind of God in an angel and God himself in human form. And the radical difference between the angels and Jesus is as much a difference as between you, James, and yeah. Jesus. Okay. Good man that you are. Thanks. You're not Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I want to say, well, people might say, well, Michael's name is who is like God, yeah. Rick, right? Right. There's a question mark at the end of that. But it's a question mark exclamation point. It's okay, who good. is like God. Exactly. It ain't you. Exactly. <laughs> it ain't me. Exactly. He is so awesome. So I, I, I yeah, I, I go back to Psalm. Who is like, who is like God, but thee, O Lord? It, it's a rhetorical question. Michael's only simply reflecting the image of the triune God in his shield say, I mean, it's not him. And this is a power that we need to draw on, especially during this time. We're in a very difficult time right now. And for those of us who've forgotten to pray to our guardian angels and especially to Michael, this is a time to resurrect that tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, that's a great way to sort of bring this to a conclusion. And I would recommend, uh, you know, you can find this on your own, but the, but we did put together a, some appendices of prayers and things. The chaplet to St. Michael is on there. The chaplet might be something I might recommend for folks who are looking for maybe to invite Michael into their lives. Uh, it, it can invite a further meditation beyond, say, the prayer to St. Michael. Oh, that's part of it. But think about the chaplet. Think about a novena to St. Michael. Think about going to Mass perhaps more regularly. Or when you do, don't, you know, put yourself, insert yourself into the Mass, pray the Mass, and, and think about where you see Michael in that. Wow. James, I want to thank you again for coming in and talking to us about your book, St. Michael the Archangel. It's a short but in-depth book, but it's written for the lay reader. It, you can get it from our Sunday Visitor. And next time you write a book, uh, make sure that you uh, come back on and, and talk sure. to us about it. Love it. Would you please lead us in a word of prayer? Yes, I will. Glorious Prince of the Heavenly Hosts and Victor over rebellious spirits, be mindful of me, who am so weak and sinful, and yet so prone to pride and ambition. Lend me, I pray, thy powerful aid in every temptation and difficulty. And above all, do not forsake me in my last struggle with the powers of evil. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the campus of Christ Cathedral in beautiful Garden Grove, California. With me today has been James Day, the operations manager for EWTN on the West Coast. We've been talking about St. Michael the Archangel, and if you would like to share this broadcast 
with other people, you can go to our website and download the podcast or have it sent to someone else. Our website is OCCatholic.com. And at OCCatholic.com, you can go to the radio tab and find Orange County Catholic Radio, and you will be able to download the podcast there. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week. Here's a word of inspiration from Father Christopher Smith, Rector and Episcopal Vicar of Christ Cathedral and host of the Cathedral Square radio show. We are all familiar with the word grace. Grace is an essential part of our Catholic life. Grace has to do with the movement of God within us. Grace is dynamic. Grace is God taking us somewhere. Grace is God showing us something. Grace is God reminding us of something or revealing something to us or grace is a solution to a problem. Grace is providing us with reassurance, healing us, reconciling us, nourishing us. Grace is God calling us to something. Grace is a gift. It cannot be earned. At the same time, it helps if we are open to receiving it. St. Augustine once said that grace builds upon nature. And what that means is that grace has to do with us. And grace works with what it has to work with. A major part of our spiritual life then is to be open to God's grace and to let God's grace work within us. In these challenging times, it might be helpful for us to think about grace from the perspective of the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. This spirituality encourages us to pray for specific graces in specific circumstances of our lives and to pray for the openness to receiving whatever those graces may be. For example, the global coronavirus pandemic could prompt us to pray for the grace of patience as the ever-changing discoveries about the virus and the constantly changing guidelines for stopping its spread can continue to sometimes confuse us and weary us. The economic hardships that so many are experiencing now could invite us to pray for calmness in this time of the unknown. We could also pray for the grace of trusting in God through these hard times. With so many daily routines that are disrupted and families spending more time together, we could pray for the grace of cooperation in households. We could also pray for the grace of wisdom to guide us in our decisions. The recent unrest in the streets of our cities could urge us to pray for the grace of restraint. We can pray for the grace of cautiousness in situations of intense pressure to refrain from responses that will create more harm than the initial provocations. This is a time when the events of the world could provoke feelings of anger, fear, confusion, doubt, and even desperation. At the same time, with God's grace, it could also be a time of patience, calmness, trust in God, cooperation, restraint, cautiousness, wisdom, and even more. What is a specific grace 
that you might pray for this very day. This is the exact time to open ourselves to receiving grace and let God's grace do its amazing work. For more, go to OCCatholic.com or come find us at the Diocese of Orange Facebook page.